Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And coming up on this week's edition of the podcast, I'll be joined by Adam Eaton. He's one of the co-hosts of the Sons of UCF podcast. One of my colleagues from the Nightline Sports Network. We'll talk about the state of UCF sports and a little NBA free agency. Adam's in the virtual green room. will be with us in just a moment. want to thank you for pressing play on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it be Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or straight from the website at jeffallensportstalk.com. Glad I could be a part of your listening entertainment over this long 4th of July weekend. And hopefully the weekend will yield another World Cup championship for the United States women's soccer team. They will face off against the Netherlands on Sunday. The U.S. beat England 2-1. A hard-fought victory there. As they, uh, as Alex Morgan got to have a little spot of tea after the go-ahead goal. England had their chances, had a goal overturned by VAR. And then a penalty kick was snuffed out. So the Netherlands upset Sweden... They're denying the Swedes a chance to get a rematch against the U.S. when the U.S. knocked them, defeated them in group play. So the Netherlands and the United States women, who have been the favorites all along, can they go one more time? Will Megan Rapino play in this game? Will her hamstring be good enough for that? We shall see. But uh, it would be great to see the, the ladies add that four star to the crest. Speaking of overseas, Yankees and Red Sox did the weekend series in London. First game looked like glorified softball, 17-13 in a five-era marathon. Crazy. I think we're like 46 runs over the two games overall. Was interesting to see. You know, I don't mind these little ventures out every so often. Cubs and Cardinals will do it there next year. But I hope it's not one of those things we get carried away with. Because I think sometimes we take a novelty thing and run it into the ground. Like uh, playing college football games in baseball stadiums. You know, that's become such a rage. And now, to me, that's overdone. So, uh, again, it's kind of a neat, unique experience. I don't mind uh, uh, turning that page once in a while to see that happen. And exposing... What great sports we have in America to the rest of the world. That's certainly not a problem. And baseball's a little easier to do that with. I'm not as big a fan of them playing football in London in the NFL because we only get 16 of those beautiful things a year if you don't make the playoffs. You know, don't take them out, out of our hands. You know, baseball with 162 games, you could pop a couple over there. NBA, 82 games long season, you can pop a, a game or two outside of the United States. But mostly like keeping those at home. And again, uh, Cubs and Cardinals will do London next year. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast a colleague of mine from the Nightline Sports Network, co-host of the Sons of UCF podcast, Adam Eaton, is joining us now. Adam, how are you today? 
I'm doing very well, Jeff. How are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to have you along. And of course, uh, since you know you guys have been uh, doing the the Sons of UCF, uh, but a little over a year now. Yeah, we started uh, last football season as our uh, as our launch date, so we're coming up on a full calendar year pretty soon. That's awesome, and uh, you know you you picked a good time to come in to doing podcasts. UCF sports is definitely uh, on the landscape nationally, and and more than just football. But I uh, thought we'd do a little state of UCF sports, kind of go over like the revenue sports and things like that. And obviously, we're chomping at the bit for football season because we've become rather spoiled. You know, twenty five and one over the last two seasons, and. Uh, can't wait to see uh, what happens when we uh, kick off the 2019 season. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I don't know if it's fair to say it's probably one of the most anticipated seasons in UCF history. Uh, I think expectations are high, obviously. Um, and it's a really interesting year. I think, you know, you think through last year in the 2018 season and just, you know, the fan base, we just didn't know what to expect. We, you know, we had a lot of trepidation, obviously, with Coach Frost leaving, Coach Hypo coming in. And I think, you know, we fell eight points short of basically having what would be you know, just a perfect, ideal um, repeat season. So I think expectations are, are always going to be high. And, you know, I think that's where we are as a fan base now. Now we expect uh, we expect to win. Um, but even even further, we expect to dominate. And I think that's going to be the interesting part is, you know, how do, uh, how do we react this year if things don't go as planned or if there's struggles so you know i, I think it's certainly going to be uh, an interesting season uh, for uh, for the knights and uh, something to uh, to definitely keep an eye on if you weren't already doing so yeah and obviously the big question is the quarterback position uh unfortunate injury for mckenzie milton at the uh, usf game last season and uh now all eyes turn towards that position uh daryl mack did a great job filling in uh, Brandon Wimbush was brought in to uh, compete for the job as well. And uh, and clearly a lot of depth at the position with Kadri Jones there and Dylan Gabriel, which everybody is really looking forward to his future. How do you think this is going to shake out uh, at the quarterback position? Yeah, so it's it's the you know, it's the sixty four thousand dollar question, right? Um, yeah, so I've I've done no reporting. I don't have any inside information. You know, I, I think if you think about this logically, so most football coaches and Coach Heupel does this specifically. You know, they preach a couple things. You know, protect the football and make good decisions. So I got to think that the the quarterback who's able to do that will get the nod. Looking at that logically, you know, Daryl Mack has had more time in the system. He's more familiar with the offense. So one would think that he'd have a better grasp to understand, you know, where players are going to be to get us in the right situations, make the right calls, and obviously make the, the right reads. So you would think that Mack would have a leg up on the, on the competition going in. But I think the unknown is we just don't know what level of comfort um, both Brandon Winbush has in the offense and what Heupel and Levy have from a confidence standpoint in Brandon Winbush. And so I think that's the interesting part about it is just the unknown with what he, what he Brandon Winbush, can bring to the table. But you would think that Mac would have the upper hand just based on his experience. But the thing I would caution Knights fans, so this is not meant to be a criticism on Daryl Mack at all, but at this point I think we've seen, uh, you know, what, 14 – total quarters of football out mm-hmm. of Daryl Mack. Yeah. He started the ECU game. Obviously, he started the Memphis Championship game and then the Fiesta Bowl um, and, the, and the, the mop-up duty after the, the McKenzie injury. 
And so if you think about those 14 quarters, really two stand out the most, right? I think we romanticized those two quarters he had against Memphis in the championship game and, and well-deserved, right? Like he played phenomenal in that second half. But I think there's still some some questions about what we have in Mac as well. And so it, it's certainly going to be interesting, but I would think going into it, just my read on the situation, that he's got a bit of a leg up on it. But I think if, if Wimbush can show command of the offense and can make good decisions, you know, I think that's what Hype was looking for and uh, I'd be curious to see if you know where he's coming his progression obviously if you see any Notre Dame film and, you, and you've seen his time there he was turnover prone uh, he wasn't the most accurate quarterback uh, but I, I spoke to somebody on, on our show a while back from Blue and Gold Illustrated um, and he shared that you know the Notre Dame offense is, is so different from UCF's offense he felt like Wimbush was a better fit in the UCF style system so I think it remains to be seen my suspicion is Mac has the leg up and it's really his job to lose at this point um, but I think it, it's certainly going to be telling to, to go into fall camp and see how uh, how quickly Brandon has picked up the offense and if he's able to close that gap from a knowledge standpoint. Yeah, and Wimbush did lose his job at Notre Dame. And the interesting thing about Mac that you that you brought up was interesting is, and you mentioned, you know, the guy that takes care of the football, you know, in the con- in the, in the conference championship game, uh, Mac had his problems in the first half, obviously, but. He had such a killer second half, it kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Uh, so, you know, he's, he still has a lot, a lot of growing to do. And remember, Mackenzie Milton did not light the fraud on fire in his freshman year either in his first several starts. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely fair, and and, and that's the, the the curious part about it is, you know, Heifel's, you know, he's known as a quarterback whisperer, right? I mean, we hear that phrase a lot, and you know that that's thrown around a ton, you know. But but Heifel's worked with a lot of really quality quarterbacks in his time, so you know, you, you hope that an off season of, of really having you know full team reps for Daryl Mack and you know having uh, having Heifel and now and now Coach Levy sort of you know tutor him um, would uh, would buff out some of those wrinkles that he had, but uh, you know, it's really going to be the great unknown. And, and knowing Hypo, I don't know when we're going to know. Like, he's certainly very close to the vest with decisions and with his thought process. And so, you know, I think we're all wondering, like, when are we going to find out? I think his comments in, in the spring uh, uh, ball period were simply, hey, I'll, you'll know when I know. But uh, he's certainly one who's close to the vest. And so I'm, I'm curious to find out when we'll even get a sense for who the real starter is going to be and when uh, when that kickoff comes around for FAMU. <laughs> yeah, you know, if the government could, could keep secrets like the UCF football team, <laughs> we would have Absolutely. no— you know, it's, it's unbelievable how well they keep things in-house. So— it is also interesting now, too, because, you know, the, as you mentioned, there were a lot of question marks going into last season because Scott Frost had moved on to Nebraska, and Danny White hits another home run with his football coaching hire, and now we get to see that continuity with Hypo going into year two. So this will be very interesting to watch. Yeah, I think it's a big year, right? I, I hate to, to say, you know, year two is a big year, but, you know, I, there was no blueprint for how we should have handled last season. You know, I, I think it's pretty unprecedented, uh, if not completely unprecedented, to have an entire coaching staff and a support staff leave a program that essentially went undefeated, right? Um, you know, obviously, I'm sure staffs have gotten fired in the past and they've cleaned house, but to have a successful season and have everybody leave in that turnover, um, to, to, from my knowledge and my research, seems unprecedented. So there was no blueprint for how Hypo could. Could, could take over. We've talked to a lot of different players on our show. I know Wyatt Miller told us specifically that you know he felt like Josh Heupel had the hardest job in America last year. And I think by and large, I mean, he, he smashed expectations. 
I think we all braced ourselves for which game we might lose this year, and um, and he smashed those expectations. Again, he came eight points away from from repeating another perfect season. And so I, I think it's interesting as you think through this year, the honeymoon period is over. You know, largely the the whole frost piece of, of UCF history, while it will still be there, I think fans have forgotten that and moved on. But what does year two look like? A couple of things that give me uh, interesting um, sort of things to think about. A Last year, this this entire staff was new to each other. So while Hypel had familiarity with Glenn Ellerby and John Cooper, the tight end coach, um, you know Jeff Levy hadn't worked previously with with Josh Heupel. Uh, both the receiver coach Daryl Wyatt and the running back coach Anthony Tucker hadn't worked with Josh Heupel. So they've had a year to get to know each other. And so how does that help our precision? How does that help our game planning? How does that help to make sure that each position group is essentially you know doing the exact same thing that Coach Heupel wants? I think secondarily, we saw a few times last year while the offense was was good there were certainly times of um of head scratching moments where there just wasn't the precision i think we had wanted and so i'm curious to see how that translates from year one to year two typically you see teams once they have more experience in a system they get more comfortable um and and play callers get more comfortable with the, with their players and so how is that going to transition here in year two? Um, will there be more precision on offense? Um, so I, I think there's certainly a lot of things that are still interesting about year two. But again, the expectations are sky high at this point. Again, where we are, right or wrong, you know, we expect to win every game. But I think we also expect to dominate most games. And those are two really high standards to have. Uh, and so certainly it's going to be a, an interesting year for, for Heupel. And uh, as he kind of puts his, uh, his, his continued coaching hat on and, and continues his coaching career, again, we forget this is only his second year as a, as a head coach. And so he's still learning, I think, his style and, and how he wants to lead a program as well. So I think it's going to be a really interesting year. I think it's an important year um, to, to really solidify and, and show that, you know, whatever happened last year wasn't a quote-unquote fluke again. That really we're, we have the chops of a, of a major program on our hands here. Well, I tell you, the player I'm really looking forward to watch this year is Greg McRae as he burst onto the scene last year. In fact, if I only had one criticism of Heupel in the Fiesta Bowl was that he did not run Greg McRae enough and take pressure off his young quarterback in that particular bowl game. But seeing what Greg McRae brings to the table, I'm really excited to watch his career grow at UCF. Yeah, I mean, that running back room is just just ridiculous, right? The amount of talent that we have, the amount of speed we have in that running back room. You know, I think we, we heard about McCray last spring game. He was sort of the, the buzz the buzz name, if you will, that came out of the spring game. And uh, obviously, we know why now, right? Like, just uh, the, you know, the way that that guy hits the hole and, and the vision he has, um, you know, the, the, the way his teammates all rally around him, I think he certainly got the making of a, of a really good uh, future NFL back. I think he could, you know, he, it looks like he bulked up, too. There's pictures of him on social media now he looks like he adds some bulk to his frame you know i think if he keeps that up he'll certainly play on sundays but i, I think another guy in that running back room that i'm interested in to see how we evolve with this year is otis anderson yeah you know if you, you saw the 2017 season you saw what a weapon he was um in last year they tried him the utility role um you know i think i, I think by all accounts not everybody was pleased with that i think both on on Heupel's side and potentially on otis's side as well and so i'm really curious to see how we integrate otis into the offense this year i think McCray's established himself as, you know, the, the first down, second down back. 
you know, but where does Otis you know, fit into that picture? You know, how do we how do we get the ball in his hands? I mean, the guy's an absolute playmaker. We we saw that, you know, uh, both in the 2017 season and and a few times late in the 2018 season. Um, and so I, I think it's going to be interesting how we spread the ball amongst those. But certainly, I think McCray has um, taken the mantle, if you will, as sort of the, the lead back in the backfield, and, and justifiably so based on his performance last year. Yeah, definitely a lot to look forward to as far as football season goes. So let's switch over to men's basketball. We're coming off a season where UCF just narrowly missed going to the Sweet 16. Unfortunately, that uh, ball that rimmed out twice on BJ shot and Johnny Dawkins put back attempt. So, you know, we lose a lot from a team that uh, achieved a lot of great heights for UCF basketball. So Taco Fall is gone. B.J. Taylor is gone. Chad Brown is gone. Deion Griffin is gone. Uh, Terrell Allen is now gone. A lot of you. Know, this is this is going to be an interesting watch for the upcoming season. Now, Johnny Dawkins brought a lot of uh, interesting transfers in. Tony Johnson from Alabama. Uh, he got some height in uh, Moses Bowl, uh, junior college transfer. You know, the one thing I would look at while on paper you figure, okay, if you scale all these guys out. People expect UCF to fall flat on their face, but I kind of like to harken back to year one of Dawkins when he basically had six guys and ran all the way to the NIT Final Four. So I, I'm expecting a little bit more, maybe, than most people. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree with that thinking. I think the you mentioned the transfers, so I think what gets lost in that is he brought in a lot of veteran, uh, veteran players, right? I mean, he brought in Matt Millen, who's a he's a redshirt senior, right? Uh, I mean, so he brought in guys who who have played before. Uh, Dazon Ingram from Alabama, redshirt senior. So these these guys have experience. They they've played before. You know, we retain Colin Smith as a redshirt junior. We retain Frank Burtz, who's a senior. And so I, I think he's he certainly brought in some 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 players who have been through college games before. I imagine early on, as they get used to each other, there will be those hiccups, right? There'll be the, the the hiccups as they go through, you know, the the early part of the season, which you know historically is the the non conference schedule, of course, which can certainly be tricky. But I, I don't, I feel good about where where he's gone and gotten talent and how he's you know constructing his team. Now, how all that shakes out will certainly you know um, tell us more about you know him as a coach. But yeah, I think he's proven his time at UCF. He can he can coach. I mean, he can he can do the X's and O's. He can motivate kids. Um, so I don't think there's a question there. It's really just how all these pieces can gel together quickly. I mean, with, with basketball, obviously, the, the team chemistry is so important. Um, spacing is so important. Knowing where your teammates are going to be. How quickly can you get these guys to gel together and get to know each other on the court? I think that'll be the mark of success. His track record indicates he can do that. Um, so I, I'm cautiously optimistic that we, you know, I think we'll, we'll rebound um, you know, in a, in a favorable manner. I think anybody who expects us to have the exact same season last year, I think that might be a bit of a lofty expectation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I certainly think that he has enough talent, um, you know, that he can he can put that together. It's how quickly they adjust and how quickly they adapt. You know, is he going to turn the, the ball over to, you know, freshman point guard Tony Johnson? You know, how quickly is, is Darren Green going to play? He's a sharpshooter out of Tampa. How quickly does he adjust to the to the college game? I think if you get all those pieces to, to mesh together, I think you certainly have enough talent 
to you know to potentially sneak in there. I think the conference is going to be loaded this year. Memphis is uh, what number one recruiting class in the nation, mm-hmm. um, so they're certainly going to going to be some 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 tough competition. Houston obviously is going to return a lot of their uh, their players as well. Cincinnati is is always tough to contend with. Wichita State, you know, historically will bounce back, and so I think it's going to be tough in conference. But I certainly think that we have enough to to be competitive and uh, and maybe sneak in that uh at a last minute spot there if we can uh, hold the run throughout the conference tournament and and at the end of the day they are big shoes to fill uh literally and figuratively because you know this team last year had the best basketball season in ucf history and when you when when you look at the fact that, that now although undrafted these guys are now getting some looks in the nba in uh, you know for summer summer league and things like that, that says a lot to the talent level we had here on the court at uh, at uh, CFE Arena. Yeah, it's funny. You know, Mike and I talked on the show. This is the first time really uh, in, in our UCF fandom, if you will, where the NBA draft was something where I was like, oh, I've got to watch this to see where, where UCF guys go. You know, that, that hadn't really happened. I mean, Jermaine Taylor was was typically, you know, the guy who I think that we all sort of associated with when you think about next level and UCF and the NBA. And so it, it certainly was exciting to, to sit down and, and and the draft was appointment television for the first time for UCF fans. And even after the draft, Fans were on Twitter trying to find out where folks would sign. I think just that energy in, 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 in general was uh, was certainly a welcome addition uh, to the sort of the UCF athletic family. Uh, and I think it speaks to hopefully the kind of talent that, that Coach Dawkins continues to uh, to call and, and motivate and bring in. And hopefully we have the, the same repeat success this year with a couple of guys in the team. Yeah, and I really like the fact that they gave uh, Coach Dawkins an extension. It doesn't stop potential uh, people from trying to poach him away. If should he, you know, continue to have success, uh, especially after the level of last year, but at least it's showing that commitment that you know we are building a basketball program here at UCF. Yeah, that, well, that's you know Danny White's staple, right? He's 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 done that. I think throughout the the coaching hires he's made is you know he, he makes good hires. They come on uh, onto staff and you know they have success and he rewards them pretty quickly with extensions. He just did the same for Coach Heupel. Uh, I, I think you know we'd heard that some stuff was in the works for Frost prior to the Nebraska stuff. So you know I think that's what you know Danny's been about is you know he he brings in good talent, um, he lets them succeed, and when they succeed, he rewards them for that. Now to your point, that doesn't stop folks from from making calls to uh, to any of the, the coaches on our athletic staff um you know but i feel like the loyalty that that danny shows the coaches is uh is genuine um and uh you know i think the frost thing's an aberration but i, I certainly think that um you know if coach Dawkins will stick around i think he'll have a, an opportunity to really build a, a special program here um and, and you know people forget back in the you know early 70s uh late 70s rather early 80s i mean ucf was a powerhouse in, in d2 so uh, i think it's certainly going to be uh, a really welcome site for us to be able to to pack what is now what a addition financial arena yes. I think I have that right. <laughs> yeah. um, this uh, this upcoming season yeah and speaking of extensions coach Abe on the women's side was extended after the the women's team uh, made it to the NCAA tournament and really the number two team in the conference obviously they're not UConn's level and uh, nobody will be sorry to see UConn leave as far as that goes for sure but uh, what a tremendous job she has done uh, elevating a, a program that was really uh, downtrodden yeah, again, just another home run hired by by Coach Heupel. Uh, I'm sorry, by by uh, by 
uh, Danny White, um, you know, Heupel, Dawkins, Coach Abe. I mean, you can, the list goes on. Even, uh, you know, John Roddick, who is the, the tennis instructor, who is not a name a lot of people know, but they are, our tennis program has been, been phenomenal as well. But it just goes to show the, the amount of talent that, that Danny can bring in. And, and absolutely, I think, you know, there's so much talent, you know, in the state of Florida. Basketball in the state of Florida has always been uh, a really popular sport. Uh, a lot of high school programs are, are certainly one of the tops in the nation. Um, so the talent is there. I think that, you know, once the kids see both the men's and women's program successful, you know, they're on TV, they're going to the tournament, you know, it, it's certainly be telling if we can start keeping some of those players at home. Um, and I think both, uh, again, on the, both the men's side and the women's side, we've done a nice job of, you know, stabilizing the program, getting it back on the map, and now obviously giving hopefully kids an opportunity to, to say, hey, I can stay in Florida. I can I can drive two hours and go to school, play in front of my friends and family, uh, and be competitive. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I think the basketball programs in general are certainly on the right trajectory as we as we go into the uh, upcoming season. And turning to baseball, another j- just near miss of getting into the, N- the NCAA tournament. Uh, the, the Knights had their struggles during the season. They made a late push and a late run. Um, you know, Greg Lovelady has done a nice job, but uh, I think the next season will be a telling one as far as as far as that goes. And then, of course, they're going to lose Dallas Beaver, one of the top players of the team, uh, as he decided to uh, transfer out. Uh, I think this might be one of those uh, Waterloo moments for the for the baseball program. Yeah, this feels like that you know that all important you know swing year. I think uh, um, you know again. Uh, Danny's been pretty patient, I think, from a coaching standpoint, um, with all of his coaches. I think he gives them the ability to sort of, you know, put their program in place. But certainly, I think the baseball program the last two seasons, you know, they, they've missed the tournament. Um, I, again, I think there's been a lot of expectations. Uh, so I think it's going to be a telling year. Obviously, there's there's a lot to replace. Um, you know, to your point, some some folks left via transfer. Uh, some seem surprising uh, than others, um, based on just the way you read sort of the social media impact of it. Um, so it's certainly going to be telling to determine sort of what kind of a uh, what kind of squad uh, Coach Lovelady can put on the field this year, and, and ensuring that uh, you know we continue to remain competitive. Uh, you know, I think uh, certainly this is uh, it's an interesting baseball conference, right? I think that there's there isn't really a powerhouse per se. I think ECU was the team this year, but then you saw what happened to them at the tournament. So I think the conference is is certainly there for the taking. Um, you know, and I, I think if if you know UCF catches lightning in a bottle and is able to solidify the pitching staff and you know continue to uh, to produce some some talent uh, you know both in the on, on the field and in the batter's box I think they have a chance because I think the conference by and large is there for the taking and so you know it'll be an important year for for, for Lovelady for sure and uh, I think uh, you know certainly the fans will continue to, to watch and support but uh, I think there will be a uh, uh, sort of a, a bracing moment here uh, as the season gets underway to determine sort of what the future looks like. Yeah, but bottom line is, you know, Danny White does have the Midas touch. All these sports are doing so well. Men's and women's soccer, golf, tennis, track, softball, women's rowing. Uh, and, of course, you know, we're, we're pounding the heck out of uh, South Florida in that regard, too. So that's especially delightful. <laughs> so, so so we just look at this whole program. It, it, it just It's just amazing to see what a juggernaut it's turned into. 
Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So uh, I, I don't live in Florida anymore. I moved out to the West Coast for work a few years back. And uh, so I'm in, I'm in Northern California, part of the country that would have no business knowing about UCF and really not a big college sports area. You know, Stanford and Cal, they're somewhat big out here, but it's really not a big college sports area. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, you know, I have, I have UCF stuff at my office. I'll wear a UCF polo shirt around. And so I've, I've been out here three years now. The first two, first two seasons, no one, everyone thought UCF was Cal Fullerton. Like no one knew what it was. Uh, and then it was, it was UFC like hey are you into ultimate fighting uh, in the last two years now people come by and they're like hey I, I saw that Duke game hey you know I heard your quarterback got hurt you know it, it's the brand recognition uh, from UCF athletics at large has just exploded these past two seasons and uh, and I certainly think you're, you're starting to see the rewards of it in all the programs I think I think if I have the stat right this is you know we're the second straight year we've had every program with a winning record I think we're the only school to do that back-to-back years or one of the only two schools to do that um, and so I, I certainly think that athletic brand is continuing to grow. And, and again, it's getting cross country now. Uh, you know, I have people coming up to me all the time. And, you know, I had a, someone stop me the other day and said, hey, I was I saw Stanford play as UCF. Are we going to win? Are you guys good? What's going to happen this year? You know, you guys are, you know, had a, such a good year the last year. So the, the athletic brand is, is growing strong. Uh, I think obviously kudos to to Danny White for having, you know, the the, the, forf, the foresight to, to make some of these key decisions and hires and, and put a plan in place um, to make that a reality. But it certainly is an exciting time, you know, I think for fans and, you know, hopefully that translates to, uh, to continued donations and continued, you know, financial opportunities for, for UCF and for, um, you know, the, the ability to build facilities and amenities that can, you know, can keep pace with some of the quote unquote power five schools. You know, I think that'll be telling as the success continues forward, you know, how does a young alumni, a young uh, fan base, you know, how do they, how do they support the overall uh, program in general? So, um, but certainly the brand is strong and it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's there's never been a better time to be a knight. That's for sure. Absolutely, and and taking advantage of uh, being the top team in in the American and in the Group of Five, uh, a team that has uh, a, a university that has not done that. UConn, they have decided they want to go back to the basketball roots in the Big East, and uh, they've made that move. They're put their football program in 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 peril now. As far as the conference goes. They're not losing in football. They're not losing anything with a one-win team. So <laughs> that's that. Would, that is one thing. In basketball, I, have, I my theory is that they've already sort of replaced UConn already with Wichita State, uh, which is a, a, a dynamic program. They just replaced UConn a little earlier than 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 they left. Uh, in Wichita State, you know, even though they had a down year last year, they rebounded toward the end. They had a very young team. And Greg Marshall does a great job, so they they will be a factor in 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 basketball for the American. Um, I'm of the opinion that that the conference should should hang at 11 for a little while and take their time and make the right choice if and when to expand. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you know you hear all these theories about these schools out there. I think that's the thing is I wouldn't I wouldn't want to see Mike Oresco and the uh, you know the other ads and presidents of the universities rush into finding a twelfth member that doesn't work. You know, I think it's a good opportunity you know to, to vet out the other schools that are out there and find a fit for the the conference overall. I don't think you need to run out and say, okay, now UConn, you're gone. We're going to get somebody else in there. I think you, you make a you make a good decision um, and you take your time to make the right decision. I, I 
kind of, you know, I know uh, in talking to Trace from the UCF Nightline show, he's of the opinion he'd, he'd like a full-fledged member and so not somebody that just splits football and then not other sports and vice versa. I think that makes some sense. I think you'd want a, a conference member that, you know, is a, is a full conference member across all the, uh, the quote-unquote varsity sports. Um, and so I'm in favor of the same. I, I think, you know, don't rush into it. Don't don't go and grab a school just because you have an opening. Um you know, and, and find that school that's a right fit, both from an athletic standpoint and academic standpoint, uh, and somebody that adds value to the conference. I think there's a, there's a lot of interesting schools out there. Um, you know, and sure, it's fun to think about. Hey, what if we expanded and we got BYU and San Diego and Fresno and but logistically all that is just such a such a hard thing to put in place for those schools just their travel cost alone of trying to field teams that travel across country you know so i I think don't jump into something if i'm mike oresco i I find the schools that make the most sense uh and and those are the schools that i start having conversations with but i think you can stand pat at 11 um and continue forward i think the conference brand you know is 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 strong all right it's it's certainly the the top of the you know the the non-g5 if you will so I, I don't, I don't think there's a need to rush into it. I think, I think they can be, um, you know, selective and find schools that really add, um, add some value to the conference. And as you, and as UConn goes back to the Big East, they're going to be on a two-year probation. Um, yeah. The second year of that, when they go in there, and, and their former coach gets a three-year show cause. So uh, you know, you get what you deserve for that. But I find this interesting that um, you know, and you know, this is not the Big East of the glory days. And and to me, I think the American is on par, if not a little bit better than the Big East in basketball right now. Uh, both were fourteen uh, bids for the NCAA tournament. You can certainly make the 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 case for the American. You obviously mentioned Memphis already, which is is building a great program. Cincinnati and Houston are have long been the bell cows of the conference. As much as I hate to say it, South Florida is improving. Um, and again, Wichita State will be coming up the ladder. So to me. These conferences are very much equal. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if, if you look at um, you know the Big East from from last year, I mean they had um, you know a couple schools had some some really good records. Villanova, Marquette, Seton Hall was kind of on the bubble, but you know you, you go down the list from Georgetown, Creighton, Xavier, St. John's, Providence, DePaul, Butler. Um, you know, all of them largely had down years. And sure, there's history with a lot of those schools, but uh, I don't disagree with that thinking. I think I'm not sure UConn didn't realize that like Syracuse left already. Like I think that they thought they're going back <laughs> into the Big East like circa 1996. Uh, but it's a different league at this point. Um, and why I think I, I understand why it makes sense for them, right? I, I think from a regional standpoint, you know, I think they were one that kind of squawked at the TV deal specifically. And, and I know they had their own arrangement with their own uh, carrier out uh, out in the, the Northeast. Um, and, and so I, I'm, I'm of the opinion, I, I can certainly co-sign your opinion there. To me, it just seems like UConn, it's, you know, with their athletic program, they're just, you know, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I certainly think I understand why they make that decision, but uh, I don't know that they, they went to a better situation, particularly when they have to pay an exit fee to get out of the American. They, they're they losing about, I think it's like $4 million annually on TV contracts between the, the going from the American to the Big East. Plus, you know, the, the reports are out there. They're already in the, you know, in the in the hole, if you will, $40 million from an athletic um, the department budget uh, program standpoint. You know, that's a, that's a lot of money to, to throw around. They must really have wanted out of the American for whatever that reason is. You know, maybe they think they can pack their uh, their gymnasium uh, with some of these local schools, and, and maybe that thinking is correct, but I don't know that they, they went to 
a better situation just from a, a, an overall sports perspective. Maybe it fits their niche and what their long-term plan is, but I don't know that from a competitive standpoint they've really you know leapt into a, a, a better situation by any stretch. Yeah, and I think regardless of what conference they're in, Danny Hurley will make that a very good program again. I definitely firmly believe that. Uh, Randy Edsall on the other hand, that, that poor guy was brought back to restore them to where they were before, and he's kind of getting the shaft. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you how you handle that, right? The, the ironic thing is the same day that announcement comes out, they're on Twitter um, showing off their new locker room, their yeah. new uniforms. <laughs> um, I mean, just the optics of that have you know, certainly just continue to, to show through UConn's administration. But, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, I, I don't know what you do if you're in Randy Edsel's shoes. Uh, obviously, I think that... Uh, you know, a lot of kids are probably starting to figure out how they get their name in that transfer portal. Um, curious to find out what the NCAA will do, though, if something like that happens, like what the what the stipulations are, if, if they decide that they want to move conferences or, or drop down to FCS or, you know, take a year off, you know, sort of the, the UAB route, if you will. Um, curious to see how that impacts uh, some of the some of the players in that team, too. But it's got to be a tough spot for, for, for Randy Etzel. I'm sure recruiting is not going as, as well as it probably could. Um, but it just also also speaks like just to misalignment like it, it didn't seem as though and i understand i'm sure randy etzel's is you know following party lines on this one and, and not divulging information but it seemed like the timing of, of the leak of the information and all the other stuff going on certainly wasn't something that was coordinated which again i think just speaks to the you know the top level of the department and so some of the dysfunction that unfortunately is happening over there well, definitely it'll be interesting to watch how that all pans out. And since, you know, we're talking basketball and you, like myself, like to watch all uh, other leagues and sports and things like that, NBA free agency is uh, the, the hot thing going right now. And my take was is it's pretty interesting that a lot of teams are able to retain their free agents. I don't recall this being a normal situation in, in recent years. The Magic are a great example. They keep Vucevic, they keep Terrence Ross, they actually add, you know, Al Farouk Aminu. So it's it's uh it's interesting to see uh, how that plays out. Yeah, it's funny how this works, right? I mean so you think about the NBA contracts uh, you know, obviously, after after LeBron left uh, Cleveland in 2010 for Miami, there was a, an effort to, hey, we've got to keep our stars at home. And they started adding in all these clauses. Uh, you can offer extra years. And now they have the, the super max concept where if you, you meet certain stipulations like all NBA teams, you can get even more money. Um, and so back in 2010, that seemed like an important deal. Now it doesn't seem like that matters much to guys. And that's that's what's interesting is, you know, it, it's really about fit and situation, I think, for, for most players these days. And, and the situation they're in, um, and I think the fit they have with the teams that they're at. You know, I certainly think it's interesting as you as you look across the landscape. Um, you know, why certain players make decisions. I mean, you mentioned the magic keeping players at home. You know, yet there are players who who bolted. You know, Kevin Durant left for less money um, in a different situation. Kyrie Irving left for less money in a different situation. So it certainly is interesting. I think what you're seeing more is just the player empowerment era, right? Where players are making decisions that are best for them. Where whereby I think there was some thought that. That you know, players will stick around for the jersey or for the money. But I think what you're finding is it's it's really player empowerment. They're in, they're in situations where you know they feel comfortable with their with their teammates, the coaching staff, the organization, you know, the, the city, the community. Um, and it's really been telling to see how how the how this has shifted over time um, and sort of how you know how the balance has shifted to the players to be able to make the decisions that ultimately are best for them. And you mentioned Durant, so you look at the Brooklyn Nets, they're putting their chips in the middle of the table with Durant, Kyrie, they added DeAndre Jordan, uh, all, you know, by name brands, great pickups, but Durant obviously is hurt, Kyrie's a head case, 
Uh, DeAndre yeah. Jordan, you know, he's 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 a terrific terrific player. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how how that will how that will pan out because it's not going to have a year one immediate impact the way people would think it would. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, everyone has been, you know, that's you know, they've been lauded, if you will, in all these rankings as the the team that did the best, right? The quote unquote best out of free agency. But I'm of the same opinion as that. I don't I don't know what we what we're getting there, right? We're we're getting year one of of the Nets without Durant, and so we saw how that chapter played out last year in Boston, right? We saw how. Kyrie Irving as the team leader goes overall. Now, I don't, I don't want to put all that on Kyrie. And certainly, there's some other challenges with Boston. I think some of the young guys didn't live up their expectation. You know, it's coaching staff. There's, there's a lot of other factors that it, that played into it. But if you look over Kyrie's history in the last, you know, three to four seasons, you know, the the common denominator of situations he's left has been him, right, and his sort of mercurial nature overall. So I don't know what you're getting in year one, and then year two. So you think about Durant in his career. When he was in Oklahoma City, they, they were successful, but they never got over the hump. And largely what you heard after Durant left was his um, his willingness to, to continue to play with a ball-dominant guard like Russell Westbrook had, had waned and that he liked the free-flowing offensive system Golden State offered. He liked the ability to move the ball and, and pass and, and cut and, you know, and, and have multiple actions and have the ball in his hand. He liked that, that nature. Well, Kyrie is similar to Westbrook in the fact that he, you know, he needs the ball in his hand. He wants to bring it up every time. Um, you know, he's he's a ball dominant guard as well. And so, I'm curious how those two fit back together. Um, you know, Kyrie's obviously, you know, had the the fortune of having LeBron on his teams over over time. Um, you know, is he willing now to continue to to seed back to another player? Um, and then you mentioned DeAndre Jordan. I mean, ten million dollars for DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan seemed a little bit uh, a little bit high for my liking. Um, but I mean, what does he bring? He's he's you know he's he's good around the rim. Uh, he certainly can you know can um, can get you easy buckets and tip ins and dunks. But he's not a shooter by any stretch. Uh, his free throw shooting has not been um, been his his strong suit of his career. So can you even play him late? And then who are the young guys around the Nets? Right? I mean, he, Spencer Dinwiddie is certainly developing into a nice player. Joe Harris is a good spot up shooter. Uh, but who are the the core guys supporting the team? Um, I, so I just don't think it's a slam dunk that you start penciling the Nets in as you know one of the finals contenders sure talent alone they're going to be in the conversation they're going to be in the playoffs they'll, they'll probably make deep runs but I, I don't look at that as a slam dunk by any stretch i think there's a lot of things to get worked out now the least to mention is the team's going to get to know each other in year one and then start all over again in year two when when durant gets back on the floor so well, I certainly think that if you're the Nets and any team, sure. If you can get Durant and Kyrie, you, you, you do it, right? You do, you're not that team who says, I we had a chance, but we passed on them. You make those deals. But I, I think it also you have to figure out how that uh, how that'll turn out long term. And I don't know that you want to just simply say, yeah, that's going to equal uh, championship success down the road. And Golden State obviously loses Durant, but they re-sign Clay Thompson. They acquire D'Angelo Russell. And by the way, they still have Steph Curry, so I don't think Golden State's going to be in any deep peril. It's funny, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of controversy out here in the Bay Area now. So Bobby Marks uh, from ESPN uh, was on Get Up, uh, I believe it was two days ago now, and said essentially that until Clay Thompson comes back, the roster that they have, he doesn't think that they're a playoff team. And so people out here are losing their minds. Uh, and that's that's where you forget, like, did you did you forget Steph Curry and Draymond Green? So Draymond Green coming into a contract year, um, he, he's going to be super motivated. Sure, the D'Angelo Russell signing is a bit head-scratching. You wonder how he fits into their offensive system. But... 
the reality for for Golden State is they just need you know bodies. They need minutes. And uh, D'Angelo Russell is an All Star. He's a young player. If you're going to have to fill minutes on your team, you might as well go out and fill it with the, the best possible player you can find. And at that point, after the Durant move, you know, I think that's what, what made some sense for them. The only thing that concerns me is there's already conversation about well, we're going to have D'Angelo for a while, and then we'll move him for another piece. And that's certainly not the way you want to start off your career at Golden State to say, hey, I'm here now, but there's rumors you're going to move me already. Uh, and so, you hopefully Steve Curry, he's usually pretty solid about keeping his teams together, and obviously he's had a, a pretty uh, tumultuous team over the last couple seasons, and he's he's held that together by and large. So I suspect that he's the right coach for that kind of situation, but they're not going to just fold over and, and, uh, and say, oh, you got us. Uh, are they going to be the one seed, the two seed, the three seed? Probably not. Um, but I, I do think you know, if you have guys on the team, and, and Clay will be back come playoff time, you have guys on that team who are, are going to have three championship rings. You know, they, they know what it takes to, to win, and I think they're going to continue to play at that high level. And the Knicks, you know, they were thought to be well. They're going to get the number one pick against Zion. That didn't happen. They're going to get the. They're going to get Kevin Durant. That didn't happen. Now, I think they're getting a little, uh, as, as much as a clown show they are, I think they're getting a little too much grief on Kevin Durant because he is coming off an Achilles, and that's a different injury with a basketball player than is with most other sports. Well, I think that what's lost in that, again, so I'll be perfectly transparent. I'm no Knicks fan. I, I grew up a Heat fan, so uh, certainly the Knicks were, were my rival as a, as a youth, but you know, the, the it came out. Hey, we weren't going to offer Durant the max. Well, that assumes that Durant wants to go there, right? Like Durant obviously was clearly never taking that uh, as a serious. I don't think they even got a meeting with Durant. So, um, and I think there was something. I think if Durant had called and said, "Hey, I'm all in. Like you guys want me," I'm sh- I'm fairly confident that they would have been able to figure out how to get him the money he wanted. Um, and so, I think that's a, a tad of a revisionist, you know, history after the fact. Is oh well, that's why he didn't get there. But the reality is that the Knicks get that because of their past history. Right. Uh, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a, continues to be a, a franchise that makes really curious decisions. And, uh, and it just has a history of um, just not necessarily being, you know, the, the most well-run organization. And so I think you, you sort of almost get the, the backlash of some of the sins of the past. And that's probably why that fits for the Knicks. That probably wouldn't be the conversation if other teams had struck out on Durant. Again, I mean, what, you know, 29 other teams essentially struck out on Durant. And that's not the conversation coming across the board. So I do think that's a bit unfair look they have rallied a little bit i mean um you know they're, they're signing some additional uh, additional players um certainly i think uh julius randall i actually kind of like julius randall i don't think we know what we what he's going to be yet he's, he's bounced around between la and, and new orleans but he had a pretty good year last year i think he averaged like 18 18 a game i love dennis smith jr coming out of nc state i don't know that we know what he's going to be yet um we all think rj barrett has uh you know has some skills and and, and obviously he wanted the limelight Kevin Knox is still in his second year out of Kentucky. So they have some young pieces. Are they going to compete at the level that I think Knicks fans want? Of course they're not. But I, I think they've rebounded okay, given, the, given the, the considerations. I just think they need to come to reality with who they are and the kind of franchise they are. You know, they haven't been relevant really since the, the late 90s at this point. Um, I, I think it's just it's just time for them to come to grips with sort of where they are as a franchise. And until they're ready to make organizational changes and potentially starting at the top with uh, with Jim Dolan and his ownership group, you know, I, I think this is probably going to be a, the, the path you'll see with the Knicks going forward unless they strike lightning in a bottle and R.J. Barrett becomes, you know, one of the, the top five players in the league next year. So are you still a passionate Miami Heat fan? 
I am, yeah. I still, unfortunately, I don't get to, to catch up with them as much as I would love uh, out here on the West Coast. But uh, I have certainly been keeping tabs on uh, on what they've been up to this off season as well. And it's really, it's been an interesting ride. I think that the Jimmy Butler uh, acquisition, um, you know, Pat Riley's always big on having the alpha, right? He always wants the one guy in his team. And I think that's last year's collective of Heat players. You know, Wade was sort of that guy by default, you know, but at the age and, and sort of where he was at from his career, I think it was unfair to, to expect him to, you know, to take on that, that same burden that he took on the years prior. I think there was hopes Hassan Whiteside would be that player. He just never materialized into that. Um, and so I think it's, you know, it's, it's pretty, you know, pretty telling for Pat Riley. That's usually his MO is to go find an alpha and, uh, and, and build teams around him. So I, I like the, the moves they made. I really like the getting uh, Leonard um, from Portland. I think he's a nice, good backup piece. Um, obviously, they already have Kelly Olenek and, and Bam Adebayo. So I think they've solidified their front court. You know, the, the backcourt will be interesting. I think Deion Waiters is still a, a, a contract that you scratch your head at and you wonder which version of Deion Waiters you're going to get coming up. Um, but I certainly am encouraged by the moves they've made. I think it's been a kind of a two, three-year sort of middle-of-the-run purgatory. And that's the tough thing about the NBA is really these days you either want to be really good or really bad. And when you're the teams in the middle, which has kind of been what the Heat have been, they've been, you know, 42 and, and 42 or 40 uh, and 42, and they've missed the playoffs by a game or whatever every year um it, it's it's interesting to kind of see pat push some chips back in the middle of the table and, and hope uh, hope he strikes lightning with a team that can finally break through and make the playoffs this year and the big the big name that's still out there i'm looking at my watch it's 8 14 on wednesday july 3rd i've just kind of checked the internet to see if there's no breaking news Kawhi leonard is still out there and <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know and i think the longer this goes and i and Kawhi is a much different guy I would not be stunned if he stays with Toronto. Yeah, that would be my lean. I, at this point, my lean would be he's either Toronto or L.A. Um, and by L.A., I mean the Lakers, not the Clippers, right? So if he's going to leave Toronto, um, you know, you, you have to ask yourself, why would you leave Toronto? The Clippers, while a really good story last year, and they have a lot of nice young pieces, I don't think Kawhi looks at that team and says, hey, they're, they're ready to compete right now for championships. I think they're an up-and-coming team. Kawhi could certainly join that team and, and help be a piece of that, but they're still a ways away. So I think the Lakers would be the spot in L.A. that he would go to. Obviously, he's interested, right, because he could have just re-signed with, with Toronto the first day. We heard the rumors that he took meetings with Magic Johnson and that he's you know he's had some back-channel conversations with LeBron's camp. And so you've heard those those meetings. So you, you got to assume he's taking that, that seriously. But I think at this point, when he's eight years in, uh, if he signs for two more years in Toronto, then he gets to that 10-year mark, which for the NBA uh, allows him the opportunity to uh, to get additional uh, contract money uh, at a future negotiation. So I think if, if I'm in the, the Lakers, there's a, a situation where I don't know that Kawhi wants that kind of spotlight. Right, I don't know that he's tra- attracted to or drawn to the fact that he can be in LA and the glitz and the glamour and LeBron and and AD and you know Jack Nicholson every night. Like, I don't think that's his personality. I don't know him. I don't think anybody really knows him, but I don't think that's his personality. Um, and so, I, I don't know that he's allured by that. I think if he wants to go to LA, it's because he wants to live in LA. But I think he looks at the situation in Toronto and says, "These guys took care of me. I know what I'm getting here. Um, you know, they they were um, from a medical staff standpoint, they were helpful." 
And let's not forget the other thing that's interesting about all this that, you know, as a Heat fan, I can I can remember specifically, LeBron was very uh, behind the scenes vocal as he left Miami in 2014 about saying one of the things that, were, that was interesting to him was that he would show up to the arena not knowing if Dwayne Wade could play that night because at that point Wade had had a lot of knee issues and, you know, he was sitting out games and that LeBron was, uh, you know, allegedly frustrated by that. Well, Kawhi took off 22 games this past season. So is he going to be able to do that in the Western Conference? You know, is LeBron going to be okay with him sort of in the load management routine? And if you take off those games, you know, how does that impact seeding overall? Toronto absorbed those games. I think they went like 17-4 and four in games without Kawhi. Yeah. So clearly they, they have a formula for how that works. So I think at this point he, he seems like someone who leans to comfort. I think he's comfortable in Toronto. I think he knows what he's getting there. I think for him the, the smart move is to, to stay in Toronto. He can sign a one-and-one, one, so he can sign a, you know, a one year with a player option uh, and if he wants to revisit at the end of the season he can do that as well uh, but I, I think the more it goes on the more uh, yeah, I think Toronto really you know, probably is the, the right spot for him this upcoming year. And plus he is the man on the defending NBA champs <laughs> so <laughs> that, that, that doesn't hurt either. Yeah, you, you wonder. That's the thing. We don't know enough about Kawhi to know, and that, he's such a fascinating, you know, person that I'd love to hear from, right? Because you don't know what what is his motivation. Does he want to be, you know, an upper echelon player? Does he want to have his name mentioned as one of the top players in the league? You know, is he just a guy who loves playing ball and just wants to play with his with his teammates and have fun and win? You don't know what he's about, and so that's the tough thing about trying to read the tea leaves here. Is that you know, with other guys and previous free agencies, you knew what their interests were. You knew LeBron wanted to go to Hollywood. You heard that Durant wanted to set something up in New York. You heard these rumors going around, but you don't really know about Kawhi. And so that's where this is such an interesting and fascinating conversation because we don't know what he really values at this point other than we know he values his health. Um, and we know that's an important piece of, of sort of what he what he wants for his career. So it's, you know, be curious to figure out, like, does he care about being the man? You know, would he care going to, you know, going to the Lakers? I think the other interesting thing, I'd, I'd love your take on this. If he went to the Lakers, though, so let's say it was Le- LeBron, it was Kawhi, and it was Anthony Davis. Who is the best player on that team? Oh, boy, that is a great question. I'd have to say Kawhi. I, I, I kind of agree, yeah. Yeah, yeah just, just because his all-around game – and his defense, though, to me, though, those are all the he's he is, and you can't take away from the other two. They're they're both great players, but I think Kawhi is a little bit more of the total package than, than those guys. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I, I'm actually curious if LeBron's not third on that list. I know that sounds blasphemous to say, but you know, I wonder if there's a good argument to say like, is, is would LeBron be third on that list of uh, of LA? But again, with all of that, just that conversation you and I just had, all that's going to come with him going to the Lakers, right? All the, who's taking the last shot? There's only one ball. Who do we pass it to? You know, who got the last play drawn up for them? Um, I just don't know if Kawhi's in for all of that drama. He seems like he just wants to go to work. You know, the the funny thing about like. Uh, uh, there's a lot of jokes on the internet about Kawhi's announcement, and I saw a few that were, you know, you know, while everyone's holding meetings and press conferences, Kawhi will just update his LinkedIn profile, right? He's, <laughs> yeah. just, a, he's just such a low-key guy that you wonder if he would want all of that scrutiny and all the spotlight that would come with the Lakers. Yeah, and I would also think, you mentioned that scenario, who's going to take the shot? Kawhi would be my pick. LeBron's, you know, had issues or passed up big shots in his career, so... To me, I think I think Kawhi would be the the guy I want taking that taking the money shot. 
Well, the challenge, the Lakers are in a tough spot, right? Because they've held all this cap space for Kawhi. If he doesn't sign, I mean, all the players that potentially they could maybe bring in to eat up some of that space, I mean, some of those guys are off the board now. So, you know, how do you fill out a roster now of, of guys, or how do you use that cap space? I mean, who's left out there that you can that you can bring in? You know, you're, you're looking at guys, I think Danny Green is still out there, right? I think there's there's guys you can still maybe get, but, you know, you, you gambled on waiting for the, the sort of the one big player, and while you waited for him, all of the sort of the, the other guys, the Tier 2 and Tier 3 and Tier 4 free agents are, are largely off the board. So what's that team going to look like if Kawhi does go to Toronto? How does how do the Lakers build around both uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis? You know, what, what chips are available at that point? Because they, they certainly have, have waited around um, at this point. And uh, if it comes up, you know, uh, with, the, with the bag empty, it's going to be really fascinating, the, the kind of uh, talent they can put around those two guys uh, this upcoming year in L.A. All right, Adam, time to do shameless plugs for Sons of UCF. And uh, I tell you, the you guys have had an impressive guest list. And I loved the George O'Leary interview and learning about his nickname of the White Horse. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably the, the thing we're most proud of and most known for at this point, right? Um, and uh, it, it came on accident. So we had Justin Holman, who was the quarterback at UCF in, uh, I think it was 2011 and 2014. And uh, we, we just asked him, hey, did you guys have a nickname for Coach O'Leary? And we assumed he would tell us something maybe, you know, uh, he, he would respond that he couldn't tell us on the air or something a little bit uh, a little bit derogatory with some, some language maybe or, you know, after a workout, what they would call him. And he would just right off the top, he said white horse. And so we were, we were just, you know, uh, floored by that information. And then as we've talked to each and every player, they've all confirmed that, uh, that that's, uh, that's the case. We haven't gotten to the origin yet, so... Uh, so I would tell everyone listening, stay tuned. At some point, we will chase down the origin of how that came to be. Uh, and so that's the that's the tease I would give is I don't know what show number that will be, uh, <laughs> but stay tuned because uh, Mike, my co-host, is uh, is personally invested in finding the culprit of the White Horse. So uh, so certainly stay tuned uh, on upcoming shows. Again, we uh, we release usually Tuesday night, Wednesday morning on the Nightline Sports Network. Uh, and uh, it's certainly been a fun endeavor. Trace and Andrew have, have been great, uh, great hosts, and, uh, and and very hospitable to to join, having us join the network. So we're we're super excited to bring you season two coming up here as uh, as we get kicked off here in uh, in August. And we will look forward to that as well. Adam Eaton, who is the co-host of the Sons of UCF podcast on the Nightline Sports Network, thanks so much for uh, joining us here on the podcast. Anytime. Best of luck to you. Thank you. And you can follow Adam on Twitter at Sons of UCF and his co-host UCF Mike at UCF Mike One on Twitter. They do a great job with their show on the Nightline Sports Network, along with uh, Trace and Andrew on UCF Nightline, and yours truly with the AAC Report. I've been doing that since March on the Nightline Sports Network, and uh, proud to be part of the team great place to go to get your UCF sports coverage year-round. One thing I wanted to follow up on on NBA free agency and, and team movement, things like that, uh, a couple of Celtics fans I know, both equally happy that Kyrie Irving is gone and much happier to have Kemba Walker instead. So that tells you a lot about uh, the, the fan base thinking of Kyrie of being such a huge, monumental migraine. Happy birthday to the Sony Walkman. 40 years ago, that's right, 40 years ago, Sony came out with the the Walkman. 
product that you could pop a basically, you know, made portable listening. It was the beginning stages of what we have today. You know, portable cassette player, you pop the cassette in, carry it around with your headphones, and you've got this all this music and stuff like that to carry around with you that you can listen to privately no matter where you are. And it's very interesting to kind of think of how that's evolved. You know, they went to the from the cassette to the CD to the MP3, and now everything is on our smartphone. And now on our smartphones, not just music, but we can listen to Jeff Allen Sports Talk and the Sons of UCF and any any and all kinds of podcasts, audio books, and the content universe is just wide and vast. And you have to think about, you know, it's all portable. And the Walkman really was what kind of was the beginning stages, the embryo of all this. Can you think about it 40 years ago? If you wanted to get any sort of content like you have today, you would have to record it off the radio and listen back to it. Or if you know, if you had the capability, you would you would you would record your your content. You would uh, you mass produce it on cassette and mail it out to people. <laughs> that would have been a huge undertaking. But there it is. The Walkman made it forty years ago, and look at where we have come with the technology and the portability. So I want to wish a happy 4th of July weekend to each and every one of you. And in the words of the late, the late great Skip Carey, if you're going to celebrate the 4th for the 5th, please don't drink and drive. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer's Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at Kramersalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. Dot net.